Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the blessings of our children's ministry and what you're teaching those children. And Lord, as we watch them grow up and then we see them baptized, uh, Lord, into a real faith in uh, Jesus Christ, Lord. What an exciting day uh, we have today. And we just, we just thank you for that. Father, uh, as we look at your word today and we begin to look at these two chapters where John writes down the vision that he had of heaven, Lord, it's, it's such a spectacular thing that we see here. And uh, Lord, we can only see it truly if you open our spiritual eyes like you did John's. And Lord, just help us to see you in all of your glory. Help us to see uh, just what it means to, to have a Savior who uh, is none other than God, who came to this earth and died for us, Lord, uh, so that all our sins can be washed away. And as we look at this, this passage today, Lord, and we see that your door is wide open for anybody who chooses to, to come to heaven and live with you, they can come as long as they do it through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, there's just some really, really powerful lessons here in these uh, two chapters and in just in these few verses that we're going to look at today. So I ask that you bless everyone in here, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, and I ask that you do that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. You know, people have all sorts of views about what heaven is going to look like when we see heaven. And we all have, I think, a particular idea about what the entrance to heaven looks like. And I think there are a lot of people who have a wrong idea of what the entrance to heaven looks like. They get this idea somehow that uh, there's going to be a processing station there. And you're going to get there to heaven and, and uh, once you get there, then you're going to either be processed in or you're going to be sent uh, down to hell. And we hear all sorts of jokes and there's all sorts of folklore how, uh, lore of how Peter is the one who does the processing. Now, I'm not going to tell any jokes today, but, but none of that's true. I can tell you that right now. As we come to chapter 4 of Revelation, uh, John is going to be taken up to heaven. And he's going to write down this vision that he has of heaven. And one of the things that you're not going to be able to help but notice is the entrance to heaven, this door of heaven, and this door is standing wide open. And nobody's overseeing the door. It's wide open and anybody who's there can walk right in. And that's what we want to be looking at today as, as we begin in chapter number 4. So go with me to chapter number 4 and let's pick up in verse number 1 and listen to what John says there. He says, after these now, after what things? Well, a lot of you haven't been here as we've been going through these first few chapters of Revelation, but, but as we've gone through these chapters, John saw some things. Remember, he saw the glorified Jesus Christ, and he wrote down what he saw. And then Jesus Christ told him to write down seven letters to the churches of Asia, and those seven letters represent, or those seven churches represent all the churches in every age, so it represents every believer in every age, and he gives his kind of this description of where they stood. And so after he writes down these letters, and you picture this, Jesus comes down to earth, uh, he meets John on this deserted island of Patmos, 
And uh, he tells John to write down these seven letters. And John writes down these seven letters. And then when he's done, look what happens. He, apparently Jesus goes back to heaven. And so it says, after these things, he says, I looked. And watch what he says. And behold. Now that means, I mean, it, it, I looked and there was something very shocking that I saw. And what did he see? He said, and behold, there was a door and the door was standing open in heaven. And the first verse, which I, the first voice, which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. Now, if you remember back in chapter number three, verse number 20 Jesus talked about a door. Look back at that verse, chapter 3, verse number 20. Remember Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. So contrast that door with the door John now sees open in heaven, and there's quite a difference in there. I mean, the door to heaven is wide open. The door that John speaks of in Revelation chapter uh, 3, verse 20, is shut tight. What door is that? That's the door to the human heart. And so you have this door that's shut tight, and you have this picture in Revelation 3 of Jesus knocking on that door and saying, let me come in. But, and if you let me come in, I will dine with you, and you will dine with me. But when we come to Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, we see the door of heaven, and, and that door's not shut tight. That door is wide open. You see the lesson that's being taught right there? Do you see the lesson that's being taught right there? The lesson that's being taught right there is that if you don't make it to heaven, it isn't because the door to heaven was shut to you. It was because you shut the door to your heart. Because the door to heaven is always open. Anyone can come. And as Jesus said in John chapter 10, he says, I am the door. And anyone can enter that door. Anyone can enter that door, but they must come through me. The only way that we can come through to heaven is through Jesus Christ. But once we get to heaven, there's no processing going on. Once we get to heaven, that door is wide open. It's always been wide open, and it always will be wide open. And so John hears this voice. He hears this voice, and it's interesting to me because if you look at this, what's happened? I mean, Jesus has returned to heaven. John's wrote, he's, he's written down these seven letters. Jesus has returned to heaven, and he sees Jesus, and he hears this voice, and he sees the open door, and the voice says, come up here. Now, th that tells me something. Heaven isn't that far away. If John on earth, on this Isle of Patmos, could see the door to heaven wide open and hear this voice of Jesus Christ say, come up here, heaven's pretty close. You know what? I have no doubt that heaven is right in our midst, that it's in another dimension that you and I can't see. But that's why James says in, in James chapter 5, he says that Jesus is standing at the door. The judge is at the door. The, I mean, the door to heaven is right here. The door to your heart is right here. 
But that open door to heaven is right there, and Jesus is standing at that door. The one who is going to judge us when, and determine who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. Who goes to heaven? Those who believe in Jesus Christ. And he hears this voice, and, and it's, it's as it, he says, it's like a trumpet. Look at verse, again, back to verse number one. And, and after these things, I looked, and behold, a door standing in heaven, and the first, first voice which I heard was like a trumpet. Now, because it's like a trumpet, we know who's speaking, don't we? Who's speaking here? Jesus Christ. Because look back at, at uh, chapter 1 and look down at verse number 10. And John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. And then Jesus began to speak. And so when he hears this voice in chapter 4 that sounds like a trumpet, we know that it's none other than Jesus Christ. And what does Jesus Christ say to John? He says, come up here. Now, when Jesus says something, it happens just like that. So when he said, John, come up here, what happened? John was up there just that quick. It reminds me of the story in John chapter 11 when Lazarus, Lazarus was raised from the dead. You remember that story? I mean, there he was in the tomb. He was been dead for four days. He was so dead that he was stinking. And uh, he's in the grave cloth, and Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And what happens when he says, Lazarus, come forth? Lazarus came forth. I like what one old commentator said. He said if he hadn't named Lazarus, if he had just said, come forth, every person in every grave on this earth would have come forth out of the grave. But he says, Lazarus, come forth. And here he says, John, come up here. Come up here. Now, there's some expositors that teach that John was out of time when he came to heaven. And so he was entering heaven at the same time as the rapture of the church. And, and that makes sense because when the rapture takes place, we're going to hear a trumpet. And when that trumpet blows, and I believe that trumpet is the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's going to say, come up here. And guess what? When he says, come up here, guess where you're going to be? You're going to be up there. You don't want to miss that, by the way. That's quite an event that's about to take place. So, so some people will say that this is a picture here in chapter 4, verse 1 of the rapture. The reason they think that chapter, as we come to chapter 4, the church is already raptured is because of what takes place in, beginning in chapter 6. We go into the Great Tribulation. And when you study the book of Revelation very carefully, you will see that in the first three chapters, it's all about the Apostle John, Jesus Christ, and the church. But then all of a sudden, the the, the chapters become silent as to the church. The church isn't mentioned again. Now, the, the great tribulation saints are mentioned, but the church isn't mentioned again until Jesus returns with his saints and the, at the end of the great tribulation and the millennium begins. And so a lot of people use this to make a case for the fact that there 
is a rapture. And it does seem to be, it does seem to be that the church at this point is in heaven with the Lord. And so uh, uh, John comes up, Jesus tells him to come up, and he's all at once he's there with Jesus. And listen to what he says. He says, come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place, the things that are going to happen in the future on the earth in which you live. Now, back if you remember, go back to chapter number 1 and look down in verse number 19. If you remember, we were given a pattern for the book of Revelation back in chapter 1, verse number 19. And he gave this pattern. He, remember what he said. He said, write these things which you have seen. Write the things which are and the things which will take place after this. Now, the things which John had seen, I think, are the, the vision that he had of the glorified Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ as God Almighty. The things, and also he saw what was happening in the seven churches. So you could say that represents the things which you have seen. But then there's the things which are. What are the things which are? Well, we'll talk about that in just a minute. We know the things which will take place after this. What is he speaking of there? He's speaking of chapter 6 forward in the book of Revelation. He's speaking of the great tribulation and the millennium, and then after the millennium, we go into eternity. And all of that, as far as from the standpoint of the earth, takes place after these things. But I want to talk about a minute about the things which are. What did he mean by the things which are? I think what he meant by that are the things which are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The things that always are. They're always the same. And so we're talking about eternity. We're talking about eternal things. We're talking about the things of God. And so here's John, and as he comes to chapter 4, where is he at? Is he on earth in time, or is he in heaven in eternity? He's in heaven in eternity. And so he is going to write about the things which are. And, and uh, to me, that's maybe the most fascinating part of this book. Chapters 4 and 5. In chapters 4 and 5, we get a picture of eternity. We get a, a picture of the things that John sees in heaven. And I think there's a reason that he's told to come up to heaven. Now, you've got to wonder why Jesus didn't tell him why he was still down on earth write the things which are going to happen in the future. But he tells him first, he tells him first, I want you to write the things which are, and then he tells them, I want you to come up here so that you can write about the things that are going to happen. Now, why is that necessary? Well, when you get to heaven or in heaven now, there's no such thing as time. When you leave this earth and go to heaven, you come out of time and in, into eternity. And so the things that will happen in the future on earth have already happened from this viewpoint of heaven. God's already seen everything that's going to happen. He knows everything that's going to happen. 
That's why he could say in Ephesians chapter 1 that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And then later on he says, having believed, we were sealed with the Spirit. So you've got to believe, but he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. How could he do that? Because in eternity he knew those who would believe. And so you balance there, you balance choice with foreknowledge and with election. God elects those he knows who will choose him. And so he brings John out of eternity, I mean out of time on earth, and brings him in eternity where things in time have already happened. You got that all figured out? Good for you. I mean, you want to read some passages that will blow your mind. I mean, listen to what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter number, let me see if I can find my reference here, chapter number 1, verse 9. You don't have to turn there yet. He says, that which has been done in heaven, from heaven's standpoint, is that which will be done on earth, from earth's standpoint. Let me show you a passage that will really, really, really make this point. Go to, back to Ecclesiastes. You've got to find the Psalms and then head back towards Revelation from the Psalms. And you'll find a few books past that, the book of Ecclesiastes. And go to chapter number 3. And look at verse number 14. And ponder this. Chew on this for a minute. Listen to what he says. He says, I know whatever God does, it shall be forever. And nothing can be added to it. And nothing can be taken away from it. God does it. And because he does it and nothing can be taken away from it, men and women should fear him. He says... We, that men should fear before him. Now, you think, ponder that eternal thought for a minute with your finite mind. Think about what he said. Every single work that God does, all of God's doings, they are forever. They are eternal. Every word that God speaks is eternal. You know what? That's why this word of God is so critical to your soul to the growth of your soul. This is the eternal word of God. Every word of it is eternal. It'll never change. That's God's word. The work that God did on the cross, every bit of that work from heaven's viewpoint is eternal. I mean, the blood that was shed on that cross, it was the eternal blood of God. The salvation that was bought on that cross is the eternal salvation of the soul. And it's the only way you can be saved. And once you're saved, you're eternally saved. But let me say this too. The judgment of God is forever. God says the wages of sin, not sins, the wages of sin is death. Now you can add to that, that's eternal death because God is forever. Everything he does is forever. And so that's why there is a hell. And how long does hell last? It doesn't last for a thousand years or two thousand years or a million years or a billion years. It lasts forever. The judgment is forever. Thank God that the salvation is forever. And once you're saved, once you're born again, it is forever. And so we should fear God. And this world doesn't fear God. That's a problem with people in the United States of America. Today, there is no fear of God. Now, that's coming. 
Let me tell you, that's coming. I've been in enough deathbeds to see it come. People that don't know the Lord, I've seen that fear as they face eternal death, eternal separation from God, eternal hell. You might not like me saying that, but that's what the eternal word of God says. And now you really want to get your mind blown away. Look at the next verse, verse number 15. That which is has already been. That which is on earth now, what's happening here today, God's already seen it happen. It's already been. And what is to be has already been. And God requires, and so God, and, and God requires an account of what is past. What is to be in the future on earth has already been in God's eyes. Now, I, the reason I note those verses and, this, and, and, and touch on this idea of God's perspective of time from eternity is that John now is taken up to heaven. And a lot of people view this when they see, read John's vision in Revelation. They think somehow that it's like he's being shown a movie that's being acted out. That the things that he sees there that he writes down, this vision that he writes down of the future is some kind of acted out movie vision or something like that. And that's kind of the picture they get in their mind. But let me tell you what John's seeing when he writes down, when we get to chapter 6 and you start seeing the wrath of God being poured out on this earth and John is writing that down, you know what he's writing down? He's in heaven and he's writing it down and in heaven what is going to be has already been. And so he's actually looking at the great tribulation take place. He can see that in heaven because he's now in eternity. God has brought him up to eternity for that very reason. And, and so uh, he writes these things. Now, what's interesting to me, and we'll see this as we start progressing in Revelation, he writes this, these things down not from the perspective of a person living in the 21st century, he writes them down from the perspective living of a person living in the first century. I think it would have been totally, they would have been, it would have been totally, maybe close to the same thing, but, but uh, some of the descriptions would have been totally different, and the reason being because some of the things that he sees, we see now. I mean, I think he sees helicopters shooting fire from the front and shooting fire from the rear and tanks and he describes missiles and he describes other things that you and I would know exactly if we saw a picture of those things happen. We would know exactly what they were. But to John, these were some terrible, terrible things. And we'll see that as we go through uh, the rest of the book of Revelation. But he's told to write these things down. And and before he writes about the things that are going to happen on earth, John does us a really big favor. I'm talking about a really big favor. I wish he had had an iPhone. He didn't have one. I wish instead of writing this down, he had just taken us a picture and he had somehow recorded it and we all had a tape of what he saw in heaven. And I, I tell you what, if we had a tape of what we, he saw in heaven, it would change what we do on this earth. It certainly changed what he did on this earth. And he was a pretty good guy before all of that, all of that started. But, but here he is, and he's in heaven, and he takes the time to write down what he sees. And I'm going to tell you, he gives us some really good stuff. So go back with me to Revelation chapter 4. And let's just look at, at uh, 
One more verse here, then we'll get to our baptism. Look at verse number two. Look what he says. He says, immediately I was in the spirit. Does that sound familiar? Did any of y'all remember him saying that before? He did say that before. He wrote about it in, in, in 1 John. He wrote about being in the spirit. In Revelation, he writes about being in the spirit. We'll talk about that in just a second. He says, immediately I was in the spirit. And behold, how many thrones? A throne. Set in heaven. How many sitting on the throne? One. There weren't three on the throne. There weren't three thrones. There's one throne in heaven. Whose throne is that? The throne of God. That's what he saw. Can you imagine seeing the throne of God? Now, I believe John, the reason he had to be taken up to heaven is because, remember what Moses said in Exodus chapter 33. He says, the Lord, Moses said, man, I want to see what you look like. Can you just show me your face? And the Lord said, no one has seen me and lived. Moses said, well, I, I don't really want to see it right now. So, so I'll wait till I get to heaven. Just show me your glory. So he looked at his glory. But no man has seen God and lived. And so John has to be taken out of heaven. And again, he's taken out of time. So he could have met us in the air as we were going up, which in God's eyes, we've already gone up. But again, think those things through. And I think he's given a loner on his glorified body because no ordinary man can see God and live. We'll be able to see God and live because we will have glorified bodies. So he's given his glorified body, at least temporarily, before he goes back down to, to, to earth and gets to die, for, for, for be martyred for as... as uh, a disciple of Jesus Christ. But before that happens, he gets his glorified God. Body, can you imagine what a bad deal that was to have it and to have it taken away and then come back down to earth? But I believe he had that body for a moment. And so he gets to heaven and he can see these things and he doesn't die. And man, thank you, John. He took the time and he wrote these things uh, down. And as soon as he arrives, he realizes there's something different about himself, about his condition. Look what he says. He says, I was in, immediately, I was in the spirit. Now, as I mentioned earlier, we've heard that before. Go back to John chapter 1 and look at verse number 10. And what did John say? When he was on, Olip, on the Isle of Patmos, he says in verse number 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Well, wait a minute. Why would he tell us he's in the spirit on the Lord's day? Now, here's the apostle John. I mean, I don't think there was a guy who was more filled with the spirit in the, on the entire earth than the apostle John when he was taken to the Isle of Patmos. Here was a guy who was an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself had breathed on him, breathed his spirit on him. This guy was sealed with the spirit. He was baptized in the spirit. He was filled with, he was, he was even filled more with the spirit. And he's on the Isle of Patmos. And then he says, I was in the spirit. Well, you didn't need to tell me that, John. Why'd you tell me that? And then again, we come to chapter number four. And he says again, I, immediately I was in the spirit. Now, there's something going on here. And, and if you dig into it, what you find out is that John was actually, in each of these cases, he was having a spiritual transformation. 
in chapter number one, he was on the Isle of Patmos. He was, he was a born-again believer. He was sealed with the Spirit. He was baptized in the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit. But then he had another experience with the Spirit. He felt the Spirit in the way come upon him in a way he had never felt the Spirit before. And then as we come to chapter 4, he says immediately I was in the Spirit, even though he had told us he was at a higher level of the Spirit in chapter 1. In chapter 4, he tells us immediately I was in the Spirit. Now, that phrase I was in, and that's what I want to look at for a second, is really a weak translation. There's a much better translation than that. It's I became in the Spirit. In verse 10, it's the same thing. I became in the Spirit. That Greek word comes from the same word which we get our English word, Genesis. In other words, there was a new beginning in the Spirit. I had a new portion of the Spirit, you could say. I became something new in the Spirit. So here was John in the Spirit on Patmos, and he became something new. And then there's uh, John in the Spirit. Immediately he was in the Spirit when he's in heaven, and he becomes something even newer. So he has this transformation twice in the Spirit of God. And he had to have that in order to, to see what he saw. And what did he see? I was in the Spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven. And how many sat on that throne? One set on that throne. Now, in this vision that he's going to give us of heaven, we're going to see God the Father. We're going to see God the Son as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of, of this world. And we're going to see God the Spirit in the form of seven lamps. But there is only one throne, and there is only one God. And that God is the same God. Just like the Israelites were told to believe when they were given the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we're to believe the same way. Hear, O Israel. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. And there is one God, and there is one throne. Bob Dylan wrote a song back in the early 70s. Now, you probably, all of you younger people like me, remember it. <laughs> I'm not, not knocking on heaven's door. You remember that? He wrote it for a western and and uh, I'm taking it out of context, but I could, you could take songs. Don't take Bible verses out of context, but you could take songs out of context. But if you just listen to the title of that song, it kind of pictures what a lot of people are trying to do in order to get to heaven. They're knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. And the, the, they think the harder they try, the harder they knock, the more good things they do the more likely it is God's going to process them in and he's going to let them enter into heaven and into his presence. You know, I've got news for you today. Good news. If you're 
unable to enter the presence of God. If you're not saved here today, the problem is with heaven's door. Heaven's door is always open. It's always been open. The problem is with your door, the door to your heart. And it's shut tight. And you're saying, Lord, I'm not going to let you in. And you've heard the Lord knock. I don't believe there's a person in the room here that hasn't heard the Lord knock. And as I said last week, he's not going to break the door to your heart down. He's not going to kick that door down. He'll knock. He'll knock and he'll knock and he'll knock. Until he realizes that you're never going to open that door. And then your eternity will be set. If you open the door to your heart and you allow Jesus to come in, you might not see it with your physical eyes, but with your spiritual eyes, you will see the door to heaven wide open. And you will realize that it's been wide open all your life and all you had to do to find entry into the presence of God is to open that door to your heart. You're living very, very dangerously if you hear that knock and you don't open. I've got some exciting news for you today. We have nine people here who heard that knock and they opened that door and Jesus has come in and they see the door to heaven wide open. They have total access to God. For how long, what, how long do God's work last? Forever. They're forever. And so they're going to make their profession of faith here in just a little bit. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll get to the baptism.